0: Uh, 20. That's the big 20 on the page and followed by the little 45. We'll have the words up on the screen for you as well. I read, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues. And the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. We either need a bigger lectern or smaller iPads, one or the other. I don't mind which. Okay, good morning. Um, My name's Ashley, for those of you who don't know me, i from Charlotte Chapel. I'm a pastor in training there. My wife, Jodie, is here with our daughter, Charlotte, one year old, and um, she's pregnant with another child, just in case you wanted some context of, of who I am. We're from the East Midlands in England, and we've been living in Scotland for about two years, just two and a bit years, and so really pleased to be here. Um, you've really loved us and welcomed us in the short time that we've been here, and it's been great to worship God together, uh, and so there's a just... We believe God, uh, we believe truth, revelational truth about him, objective truth, but we also believe experiential truth as well, and actually, personally, have experienced God in this, in this place with you people, so thank you very much. It's been uh, encouraging to be here. So now I'm going to teach from God's word. Okay, and I slide it along, don't I? Slide with faith, he told me. He said the slides are there, so it's sliding with faith. Let's try. There we go. Anybody remember this advert? going back a bit. Yes, Revels. I was going to bring a pack this morning, but I thought the only people that want to eat chocolate at 10.30 are children. And parents, you wouldn't appreciate that at all. Uh, and my wife, she's looking at me, she, she would eat chocolate. I don't know what your thoughts are about Revels. Uh, my friend said, oh, I hate Revels. You never know what you're going to get. And it's true. One minute you could be chewing on a delicious toffee one, or if you like, the chocolate minstrel type one or a Malteser. But one wrong move and you've got a coffee in your mouth, and you're spitting it out. (laughs) Or the orange, I think they're just as bad. So outwardly, they kind of look the same, but inwardly, they're not quite what they seem. And the passage that Jemima just helpfully read for us uh, has uh, similar connotations, and actually it asks difficult questions, outward appearance versus inward reality. And the the types of questions that it asks us are things like, do you ever look the part? Do you ever look, look the business on a Sunday, but actually the rest of the week, your life looks a bit of a mess? Or are you one who comes across as, as devoted, but actually really you're distracted? Do your inward desires and your external deeds contradict one another? Do they match up? And so I believe the passage this morning has got a number of things to reveal to us and to teach us uh, about some of these questions. So let's jump in and see what the Lord um, is saying in his word. So two points today. So we're going to take the first section. That's the, I like that, the big 20 and the small 45 to the big 20 and the small 47. So we're going to take that first section. I've called it outward religion serves the self and leads to death. And so where we are in the flow of this book, this, this individual book of the Bible, the book of Luke, uh, we're, we're at the end of a, a nine-round bout with Jesus and the religious right, the, the religious leaders. Um, and each time Jesus has delivered a knockdown, uh, so he's contradicted their teaching, he is, uh, he's kind of confused their logic, and he's even used the scriptures that they claim to believe in against him. And now he points to their practice. So if you've got your Bible open, look at verses 45 and 46. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. If you've been around church for a little while, uh, you'll know that there are some usual kind of phrases that we use to describe the Pharisees. If we were to do uh, one of those um, name word associations... And I were to say to you, Pharisees, I'm I'm almost certain some of the things that would come up would be hypocrites, angry, didn't like anyone, judgmental, all those kinds of things. In pantomime fashion, we kind of boo and we hiss when they come on the pages of scripture. They're the the baddies, the guys with the dastardly mustaches that do kind of evil chuckles. Uh, Sometimes unhelpful. Um, Now, we're not going to go into a history lesson about the Pharisees, but They were originally men of the people. They were loved by ordinary folk. They were men of the scriptures. They were keen on small group fellowship. They ate together regularly. They were men that were uh, given over full time to serve in God in pursuit of holiness, putting to death sin, generous in many ways beyond degree, and keenly evangelistic. They wanted to let other people know about the one true God. And so they were kingdom-minded And so from all outward appearance, they're actually getting it right, or at least they seem to be. And so the evil caricature that we have sometimes in our churches can be unhelpful. Because firstly, we fail to see the similarities in our own lives. And also we miss what the Bible has to teach us about these people. But we are right in a sense. Somewhere along the line, actually, their zeal for truth actually turned into a malignant kind of fanaticism. You know, their devotion to God actually morphed into some kind of destruction. And instead of praising God and loving men, they actually loved the praise of men. And as you well know, if you don't, they played a a primary role in the death of the Son of God. As we know our passage, actually, Jesus now indicts them with this left hook, I look at verse 45, 46. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. So Jesus is talking about their outward dress, the way in which they like to be perceived by others, their outward kind of uh, reputation, and as well as their position. Uh, The best seats in the synagogues would have been on this raised platform so they, they would have been seen by everybody. And so we ask the question is Jesus really con is he, is he bothered about their fashion statement? You know, is is he bothered about what they wear? Uh, is it mainly about dinner reservations? Is that what Christ is talking about? No, the sin here it's not pompous dressing. You know, if you like to do that kind of thing, that's okay. Dress dress how you want. Uh, and ultimately, somebody has to sit in the seat of honor, otherwise it's just an empty chair. No, I think the issue here is the outward show of religion. It's the it's the pretending, the pretense of holiness and righteousness and love for others. When inwardly it's contrasted with a deceit, a hypocrisy. And that's what makes Jesus <clears throat> balk. And he, and he points to their true intent in verse 47. They devour widows' houses. Now we don't know exactly what they do, whether they extort by force, or whether they just manipulate. But actually, it doesn't matter. The point is that they take the most vulnerable in society, the ones that they were to have particular care for, the one, the ones who God, God's heart goes out to, and they devour and they destroy them. And sickeningly, look at the second half of that verse, they actually seek to cover up their greed and their pretense with a, with a show of godliness. They offer lengthy prayers. It's no accident that the, the word devour is actually regularly used in the Bible to describe Satan. Their self-worship, their kind of outward profession is nothing but a show. And it actually leads to death. The sin that they're committing is hypocrisy. And Jesus has already warned us about this. You'll have had, if you've been here a number of weeks, maybe months now. It depends how long you've been going through Luke. Luke chapter 12 Verse 1, it says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast, that living organism that spreads through everything. What is that? Jesus said it's hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read a book or watch a film, uh, and there's a goodie and a baddie, I very rarely put myself in the, in the baddies position. I'm watching Lost at the moment. I'm about 10 years behind the rest of the culture. I'm really enjoying it. And actually, you know, I'm Jack Shepard. I'm the guy that's, I'm the doctor on the beach that's rescuing people, that's fixing people up, that's magnanimous and gracious and forgiving. You know, I'm not Sawyer. You, d- you might not know him, but he's, he's kind of in for himself. He kind of steals the stuff out of the plane from the dead bodies. He's not a very nice guy at all. Nobody likes him. I don't imagine myself to be him. But I'm actually ashamed to say I'm more like the villain in my own heart. Greed, deceit, pettiness, jealousy, impatience, gratification, self-worship. And actually, I see a lot of myself when I look at the Pharisees. Now, we might not be devouring widows, but I think like in part and in many ways... As Christians, we're meant to see ourselves in the Pharisees. Not just religiously conservative. We don't just want to get to know and teach and apply God's word, the Bible. Yeah, we too are keen to be separate from from sin and from the world. But so easily we fall into patterns of self-righteousness. And we actually miss the point that it's the sin within that kills. And so I'm really hoping this is not a shock to us. But if it is... And um, bear with me. I believe I can say this because I know my own heart and I know the teaching of the Bible about sin. And so let's just try and think about this what it might look like in our lives. I wonder if you see in some of the ways that this is you, in those quiet whispers in your heart, maybe when you serve. Maybe we ask to ourselves, Will others see me do this? Will I be noticed? I'm on a number of rotors already. Will I, will I seem like I'm the, the most gracious, the most servant-hearted? Or worse, do we judge others when they don't jump on those rotors? Do we, sense a self, uh, 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 do we have a sense of self-righteousness? Maybe you've been asked to lead or to, to teach the Bible. Are we constantly thinking, I wonder what other people think of me? Will they speak well of me? Will it be positive or negative? Will I, will I have a good reputation? Maybe when you come and you pray in small groups, maybe you're wondering what people will think about the way in which you pray. Will it demonstrate something of your godliness? Do you ever rehearse a prayer when you come to a prayer group to get it just right? Is it only me? Am I the only one that does that? I don't think so. It's a sense of pleasing others. And you see, these temptations, what they do is they they skew and they modify our behavior. And so we end up praying differently in front of others. Or if we're to give, and actually people could see our giving, we might end up giving more in order to seem more righteous. And the temptation is then, when we sin, that we think we need to cover it up and keep it in the dark. Because we're meant to be those that have it all Together And the danger is then that our outward actions become so far removed from our inward reality that we function as a Christian outwardly, but actually inwardly we're getting colder and colder. And rather than serving and praying and glorifying the God that we have just sang to, actually we seek like a poor beggar second-hand praise, the praise of men and women. We're doing it for the crowd. And if there's one sin that Jesus cannot stand, it's hypocrisy. And he warns here, these men will be punished most severely. One author actually said, it's a shuddering thought that the worst place in hell is not reserved for the pagan that hasn't heard the gospel. It's not reserved for the rebel sinner. It's reserved for the hypocrite, the professing Christian that knew the commands of God and yet cherished his or her sin. And if you teach the Bible... I felt this this week, straight in my solar plexus. If you teach the Bible, whether you're a pastor, an elder, a small group leader, whatever it is, this is particularly significant for you as well. And that's why James, the brother of Jesus, warns us in one of the books of the Bible that not many of you should be teachers, because you will be judged more strictly. And so if you've sensed in this passage that we've been reading, that you've been doing this, if you've been reflecting on areas of your life in which actually your service has become more about self, your offerings to God have actually been more selfish than sacrificial, then just hear Jesus' words here. Beware and repent. Recognise the seeds of hypocrisy in all of our hearts. Recognise that actually we have a desire to be praised by others, to be like God essentially, and Turn towards God in faith, say sorry, confess your sin, and actually look to the one who we've sang about today, who on the cross shed his blood for hypocrites like me and you. There's full forgiveness at the cross. And actually, we're to confess as well, confess to one another, confess to God, and recognize the desire to be perceived as doing okay. You see, sin loves, like a mushroom, loves to be in the dark, loves to be hidden away. It grows and it festers. But actually, when we bring it out into the light, when we confess our sin to one another, that brother or sister prays for that sin. God, in his, in his working out of all of life, actually brings Bible passages to that person's life that you've confessed it to, and they speak truth into your life. And God transforms you through that. And we always know that we have one faithful and just to forgive us our sins, Jesus, the righteous one. And so we repent, we confess, we put off the old self, but also we put on the new self. There are so many ways in which the Bible tells us to do this, but we'll just look at one. We are called to be sincere. I would say the opposite of hypocrisy, hypocrisy's arch nemesis, is sincerity. In ancient Spain, if, you're, if you know anything about the Renaissance era, um, I don't, but I, I looked this up on Google, so it um, might make me seem slightly clever, but it's not. It's just a Google search. Sculptures were making all these great things that were kind of like the, the Greek busts of men and women. Uh, there's one. And um, they were working over time, and sometimes they would actually make defects, and there would there'd be chips in them and whatever. And so what they would do is they would make this, this wax stuff, and they would fill it in, and so that it didn't look kind of uh, defected. But obviously, in the Greek heat, uh, in the sun of, uh, of Spain and Italy, uh, that wax would melt. That wax was called sera, uh, and, the, and the, the, the word before it, sin, was without sera. So the idea of something being pure and good was to be without wax. And we get the English word sincere from that. Now, you uh, people that study words and like that kind of a thing might already know that, but I thought that was really interesting. And the Bible tells us that we are to be sincere, love, love, must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Romans twelve nine. The Book of James says that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And so maybe this week you might want to meditate on what it would look like for your life, your service. The way in which you live in your family, your working life to be increasingly sincere you know our motives that they 're always mixed this side of glory our motives are mixed and yet we have been given all that we need to live increasingly pure and increasingly sincere lives, the spirit of the living God, the one who dwells within us, the one who instructs us, the one who illuminates us to the glory of Christ to his word. And he's the one who is constantly challenging us, shaping us, and forming us into Christ's likeness as we read his word, as we fellowship with his people, as we spend time together. And so outward religion, it only ever serves the self, and ultimately its destination is death. And so we want to throw off hypocrisy, and we want to be increasingly... Uh, likened we want to we want our lives to be increasingly um, our outward actions corresponding with our inward desires to be a genuine reflection of of what's within and we see a great picture of that in our next section if you look down at verses one to four of the big 21 um, and i've called this inner devotion serves god and leads to life and so Jesus has slammed the religious hypocrites. And he now, he kind of takes a breath from teaching. And he, and he looks up and, and in the distance, he sees this event, this moment in time. And like every good teacher, he sees it and he, and, he, and he illustrates from that. He uses it as a teaching point to teach something about him, something about his kingdom. Read the verse with me. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting the gifts into their temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And so he sees these two people, these two events, performing their acts of devotion, their acts of worship. Giving. And both acts are essentially the same. They're handing over money. But there's a huge difference. So the rich are giving. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say anything about the amount they give. They're just giving. But this woman, the amount that she's given is, is noted. Two very small copper coins. And actually it was it was the smallest denomination in the culture at the time. It was one one hundred and twenty-eighth of a day's wage. So if your average day's wage is about sixty pounds average, then that's forty eight P okay in modern money. It doesn't work like that, but just bear with me. Can you imagine social media going crazy, there being a Twitter storm because some some magnanimous celebrity had donated forty eight pence? No, it's not going to happen. Essentially, it's nothing in the eyes of the world. But you know, Jesus actually sees this completely differently. Verse 3 Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. For all the others gave gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus doesn't praise the amount that she gave. That's not his concern. But it's actually the cost to her. This was sacrificial giving. She gave literally everything she had. I was reading about the world's most uh, generous philanthropists recently, and a big one that comes to mind is Bill Gates. You know, he's seeking to give away loads of his money. He's worth about ninety-six billion, or some something insane. Um, J.K. Rowling, a famous Scot, she actually got knocked off the perch of being a billionaire because she'd given away so much money. Now she's only worth a meagre six hundred million. We'll. We love hearing about these things. Uh, A question is though, how how generous and benevolent are they really? Don't get me wrong, the gifts that they've given no doubt will have gone to great works. But actually, in some senses, some of the times that these celebrities give, it goes towards just offsetting tax. And other times, it actually goes towards anti-biblical and anti-gospel programs. We won't go into it here. Uh, But ultimately as well, it's not a sacrifice because they're still minted. They're, st- they're still super rich. And so I actually tried to find a celebrity that had given away all of their money, everything. I couldn't find one. There might be one. And if there is, you know, please let me know who they are so I can write to them. Um, <clears throat> but actually, this widow, she does. She gives away everything. And did she have to? No, she could have given one copper coin. She could have given a, a, one 256th of a day's wage and had the other one to live on. But actually, it's 100% sacrificial devotion. She's fully given over, all of her. She's essentially casting herself onto God, at the mercy of his character, to the point of death. And what a contrast between not only the other rich folks that are given in the distance that Jesus sees, but a contrast to the hypocrites, who only do what they do for the praise of others. Their devotion is themselves, whereas hers is fully to God. One takes devouringly. The other gives devotionally. And now, you know, this isn't just talking about financial giving. But it's not less than that. God does care about our finances. Another way in which I was challenged this week as I prepared this. And he really cares about our attitude towards giving. And now on that point... I can stand here and say praise God and what an encouragement to be here with you as a congregation. Now many of you were at Charlotte Chapel when you moved buildings. Something ridiculous like 1.4 million. And then Paul Rees comes up and says we need another 400,000 please for the refurbishments. And many of you gave towards that. And then what do you do? Many of you up sticks and you move with a church plant. Sometimes leaving businesses or selling houses or sometimes not taking a salary in order that you might come and do this, that people might come to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. This is amazing. And then what you do is you give more money in order that you might buy a building. And so I, I tell people this story about you because it's an encouragement. It's a, it is honour and glory to Jesus Christ and it demonstrates your obedience and your love to want the nations to come to know him. And it's incredible. <clears throat> And yet, there is a temptation. There's a temptation to say, we've already given. There's a temptation to want to to claw back. To say, "I've, I've given enough. It's time to maybe scale back and think about my own needs. Or maybe you've not had a decent holiday in a while. And actually you've discussed it as a family. Well, we could go on holiday... Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. God doesn't need your money. That's not what we're talking about. But actually, he does allow us to be part of what he is doing through our giving, by giving back something of the material goods that he's given to us. And so the question is, at the hub meeting, what is, what's the next thing that you want to do? What's the next thing that you're seeking God's spirit and guidance for in where he's taking you as a church? You prayed and mentioned earlier about a future church plan. I'm not sure what that looks like, but could you be thinking about what you could give towards that, what that might look like in the next two, three, five, ten years? More staff, who knows? Could you review things in order to see that you could be like this widow and give yourself fully to the Lord? Now, the, the bigger picture here is not, it's not Finances. I said it's not less than that. But actually, it was the fact that her entire life was one full of devotion. It was a complete sacrifice. And in that sense, that's a picture of of Christ. You see, her sacrifice, she was poor. She had nothing. She gave all she had to live on. And so it's likely that that sacrifice led to death. We don't know that. But what we do know is that there is one whose sacrifice did lead to death. One who gave himself fully. And he gave himself fully for sinners. If you don't know the message of the gospel, then this is the message that that God, who is holy and pure and loving, came into this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, in order to live a perfect life that we could never live, and in order to die the death that we should have died. Beaten, whipped, rejected by his people, rejected by those he loved, nailed to a cross in order that the punishment for the sin that we have committed might be laid upon him. And he was buried in a tomb, but he rose again, praise God, in order that all that turned to him might be forgiven. And so this is the motivation for Christians. This is the motivation why we sing, why we praise, why we give, why we serve, why we do everything that we do. It's in light of his ultimate sacrifice, in his complete devotion to death, that we commit ourselves fully to serving him in every way, wherever we are. Hope City, Charlotte Chapel, wherever else you are. And actually, when when I read this passage, I was like, surely, no, Jesus, you don't mean everything, The widow gave everything. Surely you don't mean that. I was trying to find some other interpretation. (laughs) But but actually, it it must have been the one that really hurt me the most, that, that, that seems to be the truth. Actually, when we look to Christ, he gave everything. And so how much more then, in light of that, should we give? you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich? And again, we need to say that God doesn't actually need our time or energy or sacrifice to build his kingdom. He doesn't need that. There's no panic in heaven saying, we need that guy to serve on that, that we need. It's not like that. But actually he invites us in that we might enjoy some of the vast richness of getting to partner with the eternal God in the mission to save lost men and women. And so the call here is to throw off hypocrisy and to devote ourselves once again more fully to the living God, and so a question is: What does that look like for you this week? It's three points of application that we can think about. Maybe it's maybe it's your devotion. Ask yourself the question: What would it look like for your life this week to become more and more devoted to Jesus? How can you throw yourself more upon the mercy of God, trusting in His character? How would this transform uh, your hobbies? Or the way in which you lead your family. Or the way in which you serve. Or the way in which you structure your day. Maybe actually um, God's not first in your thoughts and your actions in your day. And so you need to just devote yourself to him again. Maybe you just need to spend time first thing. In his word. In prayer. Meditating upon the great sacrifice that he has given for you. And the great richness that he has promised you in Christ. Maybe actually you need to reflect on... Your mission. Maybe you've become quite comfortable or you've become distracted. And and again, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, I've given, I've served much. Actually, now it's time to take a a bit of time for me. Well, praise God that, that Jesus didn't just say, I'll only give this much, that he gave himself fully. And so now you need to maybe reflect and think about Your mission, where has God placed you? Maybe you've got to invite that that work colleague or that that neighbor around once again with the intention of sharing this great news about Christ once again. (coughs) And thirdly, maybe maybe you need to consider uh, your sacrificial giving. Is it sacrificial? Does it hurt? Does it require faith for you to live each week? (coughs) How much is our own giving like the widow's? We long to be those whose practice we long to be those who consistently practice what we preach and whose inward desires and motives are ever more likened to our outward performance and actions, that we might be sincere, that we might devote ourselves once again fully to God as a pleasing sacrifice, in light of all that He's done for us. Let me just take a a minute for us to think about what the Lord's been saying to us and then I'll pray. In the quietness of your own heart, you might want to think about, you might not be a Christian, and you want to think about giving your life over to Jesus Christ. Turning from your sin, saying sorry and asking God to forgive you because of Jesus. Just take a moment. Oh God and King, we ask you uh, that you would please uh, reveal our eyes, uh, open our eyes more and more to the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Give us uh, hearts that are fully devoted to you. Help us to throw off the hypocrisy and the desire to be liked by others over and above wanting to serve you and wanting to make you known. Thank you that you've promised to never leave us or forsake us and that you are changing us day by day into the image of Christ. We praise you for that and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Thank you for that, Ashley. And we're going to take a few moments now to just um, uh, chat and have a discussion.